be reading this evening from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together tonight to worship God in spirit and in truth. We have a number of people who are away for the holiday weekend. We want to remember them in our prayers as they journey. And we look forward to seeing them back safe very, very soon. I want to just very quickly mention in our SOS meeting this evening or this afternoon, Chris Watson spoke and he talked about things to expect when going to college. And we just had a few of our young people that attended tonight, and I know that this was probably poor planning on my part because it is a holiday weekend, but Chris did an outstanding job talking about some of the things that, as young people, you need to expect when you go away to college. And a lot of the things that he talked about are applicable even to those who are in high school. And so I told Chris that we're going to have him back again very soon, in the next couple of weeks or so, because we want all of our young people to hear the presentation that he made. He put a lot of time and effort into getting an outline together, and I think that all of our young folks would benefit from the presentation that he made. So we do appreciate him and look forward to hearing him again in the next couple of weeks or so. In our study tonight, we're going to be looking at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the theme of our study tonight, that you may believe. And ultimately, what the Bible should do for us is spawn belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the Apostle John said, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What you believe about Jesus Christ will impact your eternal destiny. There are a lot of people in our world today that question the nature of Christ. And so what we want to do is note what John recorded in verses 30 and 31, emphasizing the fact that you may believe. The first thing that I think we see in look, looking at our lesson text is the Messiah, the Savior. John said, truly, Jesus did. A couple of things that I think maybe we would do well to remember or think about in light of what John has recorded here. And that is the focal point of the book of John, the focal point in the other three gospel narratives is Jesus Christ. He is the thrust of what the writers are talking about. And over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and yes, even John, the emphasis is on Jesus Christ. For example, 
When you begin looking in chapter 1 at verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word, we know, was Jesus Christ. That is, He is the eternal Logos. Now, John is going to go to great lengths to stress the deity of Christ. And we're going to talk about His deity in just a moment. But when you begin looking at the book of John, you need to understand that Christ is the focal point. And that everything that is recorded in the book of John, as well as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, is recorded in an effort to encourage people to put their faith and trust in the Son of God. Well, what about the book of John? What about the deity of Jesus Christ? Well, in John chapter 1, at verse 1, John said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we are introduced to the Logos, this eternal being. As a matter of fact, when you look at John chapter 1, and John identifies Jesus as the Word, the eternal Logos. You can go back to Micah chapter 5 at verse 2, and Micah foretells of the birthplace of the Christ, that being Bethlehem. And Micah said, speaking of the coming of the Messiah, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. We talk about the deity of Christ and the fact that He is the second member of the Godhead. Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verse 15 that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Well, that's the one that John is talking about. That's the one that John wants you to put your faith in or your trust in. What about some of the declarations about the one we call Jesus? Well, in John chapter 1, at verse 29, John the baptizer identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, which he said takes away the sin of the world. In verse 41, the statement is made concerning Jesus that he was or is the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And the Christ simply means the anointed one. And the idea is that the Messiah would be the Christ, the anointed one, the one who would ultimately fulfill the words of the prophets. Over in John chapter 6 at verse 27, Jesus is identified as the Son of Man. In John chapter 6 verse 69, He is called the Son of the living God. And then also in John chapter 20 at verse 28, Thomas identifies Jesus as Lord and God. Well, this is the one that we're talking about. This is the one that John said, truly, Jesus did. Everything that Jesus did, every word that he spoke, every work that he engaged in, was in an effort to accomplish the will of Almighty God. You remember what Jesus said in John 4, verse 34, My work, my meat, is to do the will of Him who sent me. 
In John 6, verse 38, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus came to accomplish the will of God. And so standing in the shadow of the cross in John 17 at verse 4, he could say, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Christ came to execute the will of God on earth. And then what about some of the declarations that Jesus made about himself? When you begin to look at the book of John, you'll find Jesus identifying himself as the Messiah, as the Christ, the Son of God. Well, what about Jesus? What about his affirmations concerning his deity or his work? In John chapter 6 at verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8 at verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 8 verse 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And this really is simply an acknowledgement of the fact that he is an eternal being. In other words, before Abraham ever existed, I am. I existed. And so Jesus calls himself the I am. In John 10, at verse 4, Jesus said, I am the door. In John 10, at verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. In John 14, at verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When you begin to examine the book of John, you'll find that there are seven I am statements made by Jesus about himself. And so we talk about the declarations about Christ. In other words, what people were saying about him. But then we hear from his own lips that he is, in fact, deity. There's a second thing that I want us to see in our lesson text. We think about the Messiah or the Savior, but then John talks about the miracles or the signs that he performed. What about the signs or the miracles that Jesus performed? There are seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. Each and every miracle attest to his deity. In other words, the miracles or the signs that Jesus performed while on earth authenticated the fact that he was who he claimed to be, and that was the Son of God. The miracles validated his deity. Now, we live in a day and time when people will sometimes talk about a particular event occurred, and that was a miracle. I was watching a basketball game the other night. Cleveland and Orlando. One second left on the clock, and LeBron James throws up a ball, and it goes in. And Cleveland beats Orlando at the buzzer. And the announcer said, that was a miraculous shot. Well, that wasn't a, a miraculous shot. The age of miracles has passed. It might have been a lucky shot. It might have been a shot that he had been practicing over many, many years and as a result of his years of practice and his professionalism was able to make in a clutch circumstance, but it wasn't a miracle. 
But now the miracles that Jesus did, they were bona fide signs, bona fide miracles. Well, what about those miracles? Well, in John chapter 2, in verses 1 through 11, the very first miracle that Jesus performed was at a marriage feast in Cana of Galilee. And there Jesus turned water into wine. And really, the various miracles that Jesus did demonstrated his power in the various realms or spheres of life. In this instance, it demonstrated his power over matter. Think about Jesus taking water and turning it into wine. Now, I listened to some of these guys on television today. And I, like many of you, have seen individuals purport to be able to perform miracles. I haven't seen any of these guys turn water into wine. As a matter of fact, I have not seen them be able to duplicate any of the miracles or the apostles, for that matter. And the reason is because they're nothing more than modern-day charlatans. They're frauds. They can't perform a miracle. But Jesus did, in fact, perform many miracles. As a matter of fact, John said, truly, Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles, which are not written in this book. But the ones that are written serve a purpose. Well, the first miracle that Jesus did demonstrated his power over matter, and not just matter, but also over quality. Because at that marriage feast in Cana of Galilee, he turned water into wine, and the statement was made that it was the best of wines. Now, this is really not a part of our lesson, but let me just make this statement. I don't think that Jesus here was turning water into alcoholic beverages. In no way, shape, form, or fashion do I believe that Jesus ever sanctioned the imbibing of alcoholic beverages. But that's another lesson, but nonetheless, I do think it's something we need to point out. Now, over in John chapter 4, we read of Jesus demonstrating his power over distance. In John chapter 4, the occasion is a nobleman's son is sick. Jesus is in Cana. The nobleman's son is in Capernaum, a distance of about 20 miles. And do you know what Jesus did? He healed this nobleman's son. Now you show me somebody that has that kind of power today. Well, again, the fact of the matter is no one does have that kind of power. Another miracle that Jesus performed demonstrated his power over nature. In John chapter 6, we read of Jesus walking on water. Can you imagine somebody walking on water? There may be people today that think they have that kind of power, but again, the fact of the matter is they just don't have that kind of power. But Jesus walked on water. As a matter of fact, not only did he demonstrate his power over nature in that realm but you can read Matthew Mark Luke and John or Matthew Mark and Luke and you'll see where even the winds and the waves were under his submissive voice again attesting to his deity 
In John chapter 6, we find Jesus also demonstrating his power over quantity. In the sixth chapter of John, you read of Jesus with his disciples, and they're hungry. And so Jesus takes five barley loaves and two small fish and feeds about 5,000 people. That again attests to his deity. In John chapter 5, we read of a man who was paralyzed. He was called a paralytic. He had been paralyzed for 38 years. And do you know what Jesus did? He healed that man. In John chapter 9, we read about a man that had been born blind. As a matter of fact, it was well known. And the question was asked Jesus, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, he wasn't born blind because his parents had sinned. He was simply born into a world that is replete with human suffering, disease, illness, etc. But nonetheless, Jesus took this man that had been born blind, and he healed him. Show me somebody today that has the ability to duplicate the miracles that Jesus did in the first century. I don't think you'll be able to find one. And then, to me, the crowning achievement or the crowning miracle that attested to the deity of Jesus is found in chapter 11. You remember the occasion word was sent to Jesus that he whom he had loved, Lazarus, was sick. Well, in the 11th chapter of the book of John, in his narration, the apostle John says that Lazarus died. When Jesus made his way into town, Martha met him first. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And then Mary came, and she said basically the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it is said of Jesus that he wept. And I think when Jesus saw what death had done to the human family, the hurt, the sorrow, the pain associated with that, he shed tears. And so Jesus then goes out to the cemetery. He goes to the tomb. He commands that the entrance or commands that the stone be removed that has sealed the tomb. Here's what was said. Lord, he's been dead for four days. And what really what they were saying was, if you remove the stone from the tomb, we're going to smell his body that is undergoing decomposition because they said, he stinks. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus bowed his head and prayed to God the Father. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, Brother Marshall Keeble used to say that Jesus called Lazarus by name because if he had said to come forth from the grave, he would have emptied all the cemeteries or emptied at least that cemetery. But the Bible tells us that Lazarus came forth. And you can read John chapter 11 and you'll find many of those people believed. I want to believe had you and I been present at the tomb of Lazarus and we had seen that crowning miracle 
The fact that Jesus demonstrated his power over death. And remember in context, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And John tells us in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 that Jesus has the keys to the cemetery. And one day he'll unlock the cemetery doors and every person that is in the grave as we speak will come forth. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, they'll come forth, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of condemnation. But I want to believe, had we been present, that we would have believed in the Son of God. Now, not everyone had a pure heart. Because in the 11th chapter of the book of John, you'll find that there were some who went back and told the events that had taken place that day or on that occasion, and they began plotting and planning to put him to death. But the signs, the miracles, the seven signs are miracles that Jesus did as recorded by John were done so with a divine purpose in mind. What was that purpose? Well, that brings us to our third point. And that is the message or the scriptures. Look again at what John said. Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, he said, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. John is saying here that the things that have been recorded in this book, that have been written down, have been done so with a divine purpose in mind. Did you know that the word belief, this idea of belief is found some 98 times in the Gospel of John? Does that not say something about the author's intent? That God is interested in people putting their faith, that He is interested in people putting their trust in the Son of God? Ultimately, all of us have to make a decision. We're going to have to decide, do we believe in the one called Christ? Or will we reject the claims of Scripture? There's no doubting the historical Jesus. I mean, you can go back and you can look at history and you'll find out there was a man named Jesus. The crux of the matter is, who was Jesus? Was he just some great teacher? Was he simply some type of social reformer? Was he just a compassionate individual interested in, in his contemporaries? Was he just some type of motivational preacher? Or was he the Son of God? You remember what John recorded in chapter 6 when Jesus said, I am the bread of life? Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? Here's what Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Now sometimes we criticize Peter because he oftentimes said before he thought. And I guess many of us probably have that same problem from time to time. We speak before we think. Well, Peter had that problem on many occasions. But on this particular occasion, Peter had it right. Peter asked the question, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Now listen to him. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Peter was saying, look, we believe that you are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. What about you? I said just a moment ago that this term belief is found some 98 times in the book of John. Now we ask the question, in whom shall we believe? We better believe in Jesus. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. It matters what we believe. It matters in whom we believe. In our pluralistic society today, people will tell you it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter in whom you believe. Well, here's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. If you and I want to have a relationship with God the Father, we're going to have to go through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the only way to, the only way to have that kind of relationship is to be born again. And so Jesus said in John chapter 3, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he said, Except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 7, he said, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. When we're born again, we are then translated into the kingdom. The kingdom we're talking about is not physical in its domain it is a spiritual kingdom Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 verse 20 it comes not with observation you and I we cannot define the geographical boundaries of the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is the church and those who are baptized into Christ they are members of the church of Christ they enter this divine kingdom and so we ask the question in whom shall we believe? Well, we need to believe in Jesus. Think about Thomas. You remember Thomas in John chapter 20? When Jesus initially appeared to the apostles, Thomas was not present. And Thomas said, listen, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my finger into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus appeared. And Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, what? My Lord and my God. Who do you believe in? In whom will you believe? You need to believe in Jesus. Well, a second question. We've asked the question, in whom shall we believe? We need to believe in Jesus. Why? Why do we need to believe in Jesus? Everlasting life. Look again at verse 31. These are written, that is, these signs that Jesus performed have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The whole Gospel of John has been penned so that you might come to a saving faith in the Son of God. So that you might put your faith and trust in Him, believing that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that through your obedience to Him, you'll enjoy everlasting life. I said just a moment ago that what you think about Jesus, what you believe about Him will ultimately impact your eternal destiny. 
I can't make you believe in Jesus. I can give you some valid, viable reasons for believing in Jesus, but I can't make you, to, I can't make you believe in the one called Jesus. You have to decide that on your own. Now, the reason you need to believe in Jesus, the reason you need to obey Jesus, is eternal life. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said that those who believe in Him have everlasting life. Those who fail to obey Him will not enjoy everlasting life. The Bible could be summed up in one word, salvation. It's all about your eternal destiny. And make no mistake about it, God is interested in the salvation of your eternal soul. If God did not care about you, if God was unconcerned about your spiritual state, He would never have sent Jesus to die on a cross. As a matter of fact, Paul said, If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us freely. That's how much God loved us. He gave His only begotten Son. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world's already under condemnation. Jesus came so that you might have life, and as He said in chapter 10, verse 10, have it more abundantly. What about you tonight? Do you enjoy an abundant life in Christ Jesus? The miracles that Jesus performed have been recorded in this book, this divine message that we call Scripture. And the whole purpose, the whole tenor of Scripture is to get you to the point of believing in the Son of God so that you will obey Him so that you will live for Him, so that you will acknowledge, as Thomas did nearly 2,000 years ago, about Jesus, my Lord and my God. Is He your Lord and is He your God? If you've never obeyed the gospel, why not do that tonight? The Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2 at verse 4. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9. What about you? Will you come to Christ? What would you need to do? I said just a moment ago, you need to be born again. That is, you need to do as they did on Pentecost Day when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When you do that, God will add you to the church. Acts 2, 47. You'll enjoy every spiritual blessing known to man. Ephesians 1, verse 3. And if you'll live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. If you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, our plea to you, come home. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?